check one. Nice. Father, we ask your blessing upon this time as we look to you. We pray, Father, that you would speak to us, speak through us, and may we trust, Lord, that you have a message to deliver this evening as we are open and available to hear. And so, Father, whether it's a a direct application for us personally or whether it's something that you want to give us to be able to share with others, Father, I pray that we would receive what you have for us. So open up our eyes, open up our ears, and help us to uh, put to practice, Lord, these things that we have the privilege to be able to sit under. So bless this time as we offer it up to you in Jesus' name. And all of God's children said, Malachi chapter 4, the Bible says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of Moses, my <coughs> excuse me, servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And so. So what we're going to do is we recognize that as we've been going through the book of Malachi, only six uh, verses in the last chapter, right? Um, Out of 52 verses in the entire book, 48 are spoken directly from the mouth of God. And I find it interesting, it's, it's a hard-hitting book. It's a book that doesn't hold punches. And so it opens up, this chapter right here opens up with uh, basically judgment. There in verse 2, I think it is. No, right before verse 2, you see that it says, and the day is coming shall burn them up. I mean, that's, that's like no joke <laughs> to be annihilated, to be um, just done with in judgment. And so judgment is not an annihilation. It's not a cease to exist. Everlasting punishment is the same word as everlasting life. It goes on forever and ever in consciousness. The Hebrew Bible doesn't have chapter 4 of Malachi. They continue chapter 3, and it just ends with those six verses in chapter 3. So in our Bible, we have uh, Malachi chapter 4, and we have those six verses. They felt that it was it was continuing flow, so they just left it. Remember, it wasn't, um, I don't remember exactly when, I don't know, 800s or 900s when we added Bible verses and uh, and then we broke them up from chapters first and then we added the verses the, the following year. So I don't, 1300, I don't remember the, the exact dates, but it's, you know, it's something that we added and a lot of times they're not even in the right place. Like you'll notice like that thought should have continued over. We'll take questions after. Hold on. Um, so just want to, you know, we're going to wrap this up. We're going to talk about it. The, the big point that I wanted to draw out of here is two things. You notice the contrast between verse 1 and verse 2, that those who fear the name of the Lord, the son of righteousness shall, shall arise. 
with healing in his wings and you will go out with and grow like fat stall fat like stall fed calves. What a visual for me. A stall fed calf. A, a calf that just has sustenance and and all everything that you know we need. And so may we recognize the contrast between those two groups from verse 1 and verse 2 and then he goes into the fact that he's going to send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the dreadful day of the Lord. And so we believe that according to Revelation chapter 11, when you have the judgment and the two witnesses, one will definitely be Elijah. Um, John the Baptist was a forerunner for Jesus in, in the spirit of Elijah. But we believe Elijah is actually going to come back. Elijah was never uh, de dead, right? He was taken up in a chariot of fire as God basically raptured him alive up into heaven. And Elisha, his successor, would see him. And Elisha said, I want a double portion of what you got. I want a double blessing. And he goes, well, I can't give that to you. But if you see me ascend, then God's given it to you. And I do find it interesting that um, Elijah would perform 16 miracles and Elisha, 32, showing us a double portion of God's spirit uh, and blessing. And so just, just neat little things that we see there. So the hearts of the father being turned back to the children and the hearts of the children back to the fathers, that's the fathers of the patriarchs. That's, you know, God bringing the nation of Israel back to Moses and the, and the Torah and, and the law. But ultimately, the fulfillment of all of those scriptures in Jesus Christ. So right now, the nation of Israel is experiencing a partial hardening. They're blinded to the gospel and to the things of God. Obviously, if they want to turn their hearts to God, then God will grant them repentance and salvation. But for the most part, the nation of Israel is agnostic at best right now, living in unfaith, unbelief. And many of them in the nation of Israel spread all over the world still, but no sacrifice because there's no temple. And so just interesting that as they rejected Jesus, according to Romans 9, 10, and 11, chapter 10 specifically, God has given them partial hardening, a blindness, in part because they refused to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So interesting dynamic there. We're going to wrap up the study. Um, and so we're going to go through the whole book. I'll, I'm going to just make two big points that I want to make. So we will invite Miss Vanessa. Um, okay, so I am going to be sharing out of uh, the book of Matthew, and it's uh, basically Matthew twenty-two fourteen. 14, and um, let me give you a little bit of background for this for me. Um, interestingly enough, Pastor Johnny should say um, agnostic, because for a long time, a big part of my life, I identified myself as agnostic. And basically what that means is you believe there's a God, you just don't know who God is, right? Uh, whether he's the true God um, or Mother Nature or, you know, the God that other people claim who he is. Um, I always say this, it sounds kind of silly, but um, if I were to be born anything, I was born Catholic. Um, my mom was a Baptist, so I was somewhat raised Christian, but, you know, my father was the predominant figure in my life, and so um, my mom would share scriptures with me, 
and one of the scriptures that she shared with me was actually Matthew 22:14. although at the time I didn't know what it was, and what it says is, for many are called, but few are chosen. Um, so throughout my life, I was a little bit confused, and um, I became agnostic because I just thought, okay, I'm not chosen. Um, so the definition of chosen is um, having been selected as the best or most appropriate, and the ne- definition of called is to summon a particular activity, invite or command, or to rouse from sleep or summon to get up. Um, and this verse actually um, follows the parable of the wedding feast, and it was from Jesus. So as I got into my teenage and adult years, I had settled with myself that, okay, I believe who God is. He is God, um, but I'm just not chosen, right? We're all called. I'm just not chosen. Um, It wasn't until recently in my life that I realized I am chosen. Um, God met me in a, a difficult season of my life, and I just decided to surrender to him. And through that, I learned that I was chosen. Um, so in Matthew 22, 1 through 13, it talks about the, the wedding feast. Um, and interestingly enough, it talks about um, the parable of how everybody is invited, um, but not everyone is willing to come. So they refused to come to the wedding. It wasn't, you know, for whatever reason, you know, it was... They were too busy, you know, there was worldly pursuits, um, or they were hostile, hostile toward the king, right? They were angry at God. Um, but he invites everyone, anybody who's willing. Um, it goes on to talk about the appropriate wedding garment. There was, you know, somebody who was kicked out because they didn't have the appropriate wedding garment, and I noticed uh, and saw that that is the covering of the blood of Jesus, right? There's only one way to God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so that is the blood of the covering. There's nothing we can do in our own strength, which I think is what I was trying to do, was strive, right? So I'm just not chosen, because in my own strength, I was trying to please God. I was trying to stop doing all these things that I kept doing that I didn't want to do, right? What Paul says, why do I do things that I don't want to do? So I just said, I'm not chosen. Um, but uh, it's really about surrendering to God, right? Um, there is another verse that says, uh, for many are called, but few are chosen. It's in Matthew, uh, 20, 16, and it says, so the last will be first and the first last for many are called, but few are chosen. So within this past year, um, you know, I started reading my Bible more, right? A lot of us only read a little bit, um, you know, or no verses here or there, um, open it up on Sundays, um. But in this season, I actually read my Bible. I wanted to hear from God. I wanted to know who God was. Um, and so in doing that, I also learned that, you know, you can't just read one verse. You have to read what comes before or after. And prior to that, it was the parable of the workers in the vineyard um, where, you know, somebody gets hired in the morning, somebody gets hired in the evening, and they all get the same pay. And, hey, that's not fair, right? And that's just a picture of God's grace and mercy to all of us. We're all chosen. We're all called, and he, um, you know, treats us all equally. So uh, one of those things that I was learning there is that we always need to find sufficiency in Christ. Um, We're always looking for sufficiency in other things, right? Whether, you know, (coughs) just from personal experience, it's, you know, partying or alcohol or, you know, somebody to love you, somebody to think, you know, you're everything that God always already thinks that you are. Um, 
So, and another thing that we need not to do is become spiritually complacent. So I looked up the word complacent, and it means marked by self-satisfaction, especially when accompanied by an awareness of actual dangers or deficiencies. Um, so throughout my life, I got married, I had kids, and um, I was just happy that I was married to somebody who was a believer and that my kids were believing and that they were going to go to heaven. I'm okay to go to hell as long as my family is going to heaven. So I started pursuing things like my career and trying to find self-satisfaction, and nothing was satisfying. Um, so, like I said, in this season where God met me, and I surrendered because he told me, um, I am going to show you how much I loved you, love you and have loved you all this time by having you love. Um, so some of the things that I was learning was that um, in this parable of the vineyards, uh, of the workers of the vineyard, um, you know, we all are entitled to the uh, same reward of eternal life, right? When we come to Jesus and we accept him as our Lord and Savior and uh, we choose to follow him, choose to make him the Lord of our lives, we all are given eternal life equally. Um, but what differs is our rewards for the different things that we do. Now, there isn't anything that, you know, our works can do that get us to heaven, but God puts things on our hearts and wants to be the Lord of our lives and wants us to surrender so that he can use us. Um, so that's where the crown and uh, the different jewels and the mansion, right? I just hope, you know, my little shack is on a street of gold right next to all your all's mansions. So I'll be good with that. Um, but uh, as I started uh, coming back to church um, here at Calvary Chapel Living Water um, and coming to Wednesday night studies, um, it finally hit me <laughs> uh, when Pastor Johnny was um, talking uh, talking about a study, and he had mentioned that um, you know we have a divine election. God has a free will, and God chooses. Um, and it, I realized that by choosing God, by choosing to know God, that I am chosen. He chose me. Um, but just like in any relationship, it's a two-way street. We have to continue to read the word. We have to continue to know, like, how do I know I'm chosen? Because it's by the promises of God that he's given me already in the, in the Bible, in the word. Um, so that's something that he's just been showing me. Um, you know, throughout the Bible, you hear Jesus say, he who has ears, let him hear. You know, um, everyone has ears, but few are listening. You know, we're talking about the, the spiritual and the physical. We all have ears to listen, right? I think my mom used to say, you know, are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? You know, I'm listening. <laughs> um, you know, but uh, I just think that um, it's important that we know that we are all chosen. But it's us choosing to make Jesus the Lord of our life, that when we really will see and enter into that uh, divine, intimate relationship that he wants to have with all of us. So I am chosen because I choose Jesus. That's your pick? Nope. I don't like it. <laughs> Jump back to Malachi chapter 1. So we're going to marry these two studies. 
We start with Malachi chapter 4, and we see a contrast between um, those who belong to God and those who reject God. I, I, you know, you got to put it in its historical context. You got to realize that the nation of Israel is at the end of their run. The chosen people of God didn't choose God in the end. And so God was choosing them. God was for them. God was patient with them. But patience after it's abused and neglected and trampled on, it would become unjust for God not to deal with the nation of Israel according to their slothfulness, wickedness, um, their idolatry. And so at some point, God said, my patience has reached its max. I've suffered very long with you, but there's always a remnant with God. And that's what I love about the Lord. There's always a people that are set apart to God and just, we could, we could stumble, we can, we can, you know, not get it perfect, but just an individual that just says, I got to come back to the Lord. I've got to look to the Lord. I wasn't in a season. I wasn't at a time. Well, the nation of Israel had unfortunately 1,500 years. How patient was God? Very patient, right? To wait from the point of Abraham and then all of the prophets to finally get to Malachi. And so when we look at Malachi chapter 1, notice verse 6 with me. This is going to be a summary, and then we're going to make two major points. Malachi chapter 1 at verse 6, it says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts? to you priests who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? And so the priests at this time in history were making a mockery of what God had called them to. God starts with Levi. Levi has Aaron as a son, the Aaronic priesthood, the ones that would represent God to the people and represent the people to God. And at a point, somewhere down the line, it just got convoluted. And God desired the first fruits of his children. And instead of giving the first fruits, they were giving the things that were just shameful to give to God. You know, the, the lamb with one eye and, and uh, you know, the, the, the whatever offering with a busted leg. And, you know, they, they'd sit there and look, well, where's the, where's the horrible one that's probably going to die anyways? We'll give that one to the Lord. And they weren't wholly devoted to the Lord. They weren't committed to God. They weren't placing him as the priority, as the first and the foremost. And so God is using the priest to say, once the leadership goes bad, man, it's just a matter of time before the people are going to begin to follow that suit. In Malachi chapter 1, verse 14, notice with me, but cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a king, a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And so as you continue to go through, you just begin to see this constant, like just this repetition of their slothfulness, of their unfaithfulness, of their half-stepping with God, of their idolatry. Notice in Malachi chapter 2, jump on over there with me, Malachi chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, 
that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace. And I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and I was reverent and, and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. And so now God is reflecting back on Levi and why he got it figured out. How he was able to be faithful to what God had called him to. How he was able to keep God as first and foremost. How he was able to offer the best that he had and brought that to God. Where you're contrasting that to the current priesthood. And he's saying, you guys are far from me. Your hearts are disconnected to the things that you're doing. You're doing things with an outward show, but nowhere on the inside are you connected to the things that you're doing. I deserve better, God is saying. I deserve more. I've been nothing but faithful and gracious and generous to you. If you jump over to chapter 2, stay there, uh, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he, he delights in them, or where is the God of justice? So they had gotten to a place in history where they were flipping the script. They were calling good evil and evil good. And they were almost mocking God to say, huh, where's the justice? God ain't wiping nobody out. God ain't killing off anyone. I don't see any lightning bolts coming down from heaven. You know, that, that person that dares to, to challenge God. Well, if God is real, then let a lightning bolt come down and just strike me. That's not how God, God's not capricious. God's not emotionally unstable or unstable. So we need to be careful. Malachi chapter 3, verse 5. And I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me says the Lord of hosts. Jump down to 11, I'm sorry, 3, 16 through 18. Chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord. I find this so comforting that when I talk about the Lord, he pays attention. When I talk about the goodness of God in my life, he writes it down. He says, hush, heaven. Heaven, hush. That's my son. That's my daughter. They're reflecting on my goodness. They're looking at my power. They're looking at my wonder. Shh, I got to write it down. I find that the creator of the universe acquiesces. He comes down to such an intimate level because he's pleased when his kids recognize how good he is, how powerful he is, how awesome he is. And again, God had his remnant. He always does in every economy, in every culture, in every nation, throughout the history of time, God has always had a people who no matter what the world was doing, they said, that's not my God. My God loves me. My God has done so much for me. And it might not be easy. And it is tough at times. But I bowed my knee to him. And until I go home to be with him, I'm going to talk about the good things he's doing in my life. It goes on in verse 17. At the end of verse 16 there it says, And who meditate on his name, 
Verse 17, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Verse 18, then you shall again discern between righteous, the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So I want to show you guys what was the theme there. If we were again to look at these verses, I'm just going to read you a little section in each verse. Malachi chapter 1, let's see, verse 4. But to you who fear my name. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. Where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi chapter 1, verse 14. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Malachi 2, 4 through 6. Right in the middle of that. And I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. Malachi chapter 3 verse 5. Because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi chapter 3 verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord listened and heard them for those who feared the Lord. Do we see a reoccurring theme? What they did was they placed the Lord in his rightful place. They put God where he belonged. What separates Christianity from every other belief in the world is God says, my starting point is this. My starting point is me. It's not you. Every other belief is, well, how's this going to benefit me? And well, what do I got to win if I do this? Or what do I got to lose if I don't do it? Or it starts with the individual. Christianity starts with God. And God gives us the beginning for starting with him. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. In Psalm 111, verse 10, the Bible says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Job chapter 28, verse 28, the Bible says, And to, to man, he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. We start with God when we place him in his rightful place. We start with God when we reverence him. We fear him. When we fear the Lord... Fear has this idea of reverence. We put him in his rightful place. But fear also is defined as fear. Fear. Think of a, something you're afraid of. Be afraid of God. Jesus said of Satan, don't, don't fear him who can destroy your body. Fear him who can not only destroy your body, but cast your soul into hell. Speaking of himself. Satan doesn't have that power. Satan can mess with you from the outside. Satan can get in your head, if you will. But he can't cast your soul into hell. God alone has the prerogative of judgment. So the fear of the Lord is an awareness that you are in the presence of a holy, just, and almighty God, and that he will hold you accountable for your motives, thoughts, words, and actions. There's more to it. Uh, I didn't want to, you know, get too lengthy on that. 
But the fear of the Lord is that awareness that you are in the presence of a holy, just, and almighty God, and that he will hold you accountable for your motives, thoughts, words, and actions. So now let's look at this idea, this concept of many are called and few are chosen. Vanessa shared rewards are what differentiates each believer and what we receive. She said, by choosing God, I realize that I am chosen. Everyone has ears, but few are listening. And so when we take the fact that we're chosen, called and chosen because we chose God, what's going to differentiate us? Our surrender. She said it in her study. Our surrender to God, to the things of God. No, I'm going to hold that back at arm's length. I'm not sure. I'm going to test the waters. I'm going to see what it looks like. I'm going to see what it might feel like. I'm going to go so far, but I'm going to hold on to my right, my prerogative to make an adjustment down the line. That's not faith. That's not faith. You have to believe that this awesome, mighty God that has proven his love for you by dying on the cross for you has a way better plan for your life than you do. And through faith in obedience to what he's calling you to as he leads you step by step, it's a demonstration that you believe it or it's a demonstration that you don't. And all of us struggle, all of us stumble. We're not going to pretend that we've all got it figured out or that, you know, whoa, you know, you're just so further ahead. No, 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 no. The battle's here. The battle's not with one another. The battle is my flesh. The battle is my soul. It's my will. It's my strength, it's my mind, it's everything that's housed within my soul. And my soul is going to be the, deter- the determining factor whether I'm going to be a spiritually minded man or a carnally minded man. If I'm, going to, if I'm going to give room or place to my flesh, it's over. It's over. What's the recipe or the remedy for the flesh? Crucify. Utterly destroy it. Leave no room for the flesh. Once you let it rear its ugly head, it'll take you further than you want it to go, keep you longer than you want it to stay, cost you more than you want it to pay. It's just the nature of the flesh. And so at some point, we got to get it. I was talking to a friend today, and he's, uh, he's thinking about you know, closing down his church and starting to do church a little different. I, I don't believe that most people are going to come to church in these days. I believe that most people, we got to take the church to them. Or bless you, Christina. Okay, I believe that we need to take the church to the people. It's very hard for somebody to come into a setting and sit and listen because the discipline is lost. Be still and know that I am God. The world doesn't know that. To sit and to just, all right, this is kind of tough. Okay, I'm getting through it. Got a little boring in that middle part, but maybe it's coming back right. Whoa, 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 was that a word for me? Whoa, what's it? That's a discipline. The ability to be able to sit for 30, 45 minutes to 60 minutes, that's a discipline. And it's a spiritual discipline to be able to sit under the word. And Satan would love to create distraction and to get our minds off of what God wants to communicate to us. All of that is a discipline that we learn and we grow in. And those are maturity. Your your age has nothing to do with maturity. I've seen 12-year-olds that can endure an hour study when I taught junior high for three and a half years. And sometimes you get adults who are like, well, I'm getting a a little long-winded there. Did we go over the lunch hour? <laughs> yeah, what's going on? You're messing with my personal time now, brother. You know? So what differentiates and the, the many called and the few being chosen, if we've chosen Christ, then we are chosen. 
What differentiates is our ability to surrender. And it starts with a reverence for God, a fear of the Lord, putting God in his rightful place. And he needs to stay there. He needs to occupy that place in our hearts, in our lives. And the reverence of the Lord is we ultimately, we take him at his word. We don't judge the word. The word judges us. We don't, we don't become the filter with which, well, well I got it. Wait, hold up. Let me, let, me, let me see what it says, and I'm going to determine, you know, whether. It, no, it's God's word. That bumper sticker, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. You can take the middle part out. God said it. That settles it. Whether you believe it or not, God said it. That settles it. Look at the nation of Israel as we're closing out Malachi. God's chosen people. And what did he do? Israel, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. I am patient, but you crossed me far too long. You went after idols. You began intermarrying. You started doing all this stuff. And obviously, you know, our, our existence, if we all lived to the ripe old age of 100, is tiny in comparison. And people fear, well, is God going to give up on us? God won't give up on you to the end of your life. He won't give up on you as long as you have breath. I'm talking about 1,500 years of a nation. I'm not talking about an individual, but at the same time, can we learn from this nation? Yes, don't go after idolatry and don't go after the things and hold God in his prestigious position. Give him the first fruits. Yeah, but oh man, so much value. You cannot outgive God. He tests us, didn't he, in chapter three? Test me now in this and see if I don't pour open the windows of heaven. And so encourage you guys with that. Questions, comments, concerns. As we close out, Malachi. Amen. And, and just as I'm, as I'm evaluating um, just how Vanessa was able to take a scripture, something that the Lord had put on her heart, um, gives you the definitions of words that she's thinking about, chosen, called. She defined another one down here. What was your other word? Complacent. Marked by selfish satisfaction. That was powerful. And then takes us to another context, knows the verses that come before it. And so just on a, on a general overview, solid job of sharing the word, just the context, the, the knowledge. I don't know where your knowledge came from if you were agnostic for all this time and finally give your <laughs> life to the Lord and through whatever's going on. Y- your ears were open. I mean, God brought some, a lot of that context back because you're, you're definitely uh, able to 